Thanks for joining us tonight on Vintage McCoy. We've got uh, a wonderful program in store for you because uh, we're going to have a visitor this Sunday who's come all the way from North Carolina. The story's compelling, and because you're tuning in, you'll get a chance to hear it in its entirety because on Sunday, he's only going to have a few short minutes to share with the congregation, but I'm going to tell you right now, tune in because this man is pretty stinking spectacular. He's a great blessing to me. I had the privilege to meet him in Israel and the things that, done, that the Lord's done through this man's life is nothing short of extraordinary. So stick around for Vintage McCoy. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Together, we will make America great again. I have never been more hopeful about America. And the people who knock these buildings down the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But because of the Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One small step for man. To be able to sing with new meaning. My country tears of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. We shall pay any price, bear any hurt, uphold any foe to ensure the survival and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are the defenders of freedom. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created one equal. nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to repeat. And now, your host, Pastor Rob McCoy. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, i tell you what. Uh, we have a wonderful guest, and I, I, I'm so excited to introduce you to him. I had the privilege to meet uh, Pastor Cameron McGill in Israel, and he is a pastor in North Carolina. I was asked to be the teaching pastor on a trip with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, and an entire entourage of pastors from North Carolina came along with the Lieutenant Governor, and I was a teaching pastor, so I got to interact with a number of these folks. And shared with them the fact that a pastor can run for office. And at the time, I was a sitting city council member and also the pastor of Godspeak. And uh, a number of these pastors caught the vision, but one in particular ran with it. And when I say ran with it, um, wait till you hear this story. Pastor Cameron is the pastor of the Lakes Church in, uh, what was it, White Lake? White Lake. White Lake, North Carolina, which is near the coast. It is, small community, about an hour inland from Wilmington. Uh, so it's near. It's in Bladen County. It is. Uh, and, and the church about 500 on a Sunday? A real good Sunday to be 500 in the summer. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're counting everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we call that evangelistic. That's right. <laughs> well, okay, so, so the story is, is this. Um, you went to Israel on an invitation uh, to join Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest with a group of pastors. Some of them you knew, some of them you didn't. And most we didn't. In fact, you know, I look back and it's certainly a divine appointment to make some connections and some new friends. Um, 
my wife had wanted to go to Israel for some time, and this trip kind of popped up, and financially it was a blessing yeah. to be able to go um, through the American Renewal Project. Just amazing how God put that together. David Lane. David Lane and Cindy and um, Gary and Dana Miller, just fast friends now. Oh, amen. Life-changing, just yeah, like yeah. you guys. And, um, you know, we look back at that and, and the timing, 2019, I mean, if, if you're going to go to Israel, you better go in 2019 because it's probably going to be too late in 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we went, uh, you, you sort of helped us see the church as the ecclesia, not just um, a body, uh, you know, that, that meets, but, you know, a movement. And then uh, challenging us, um, a number of specific places, the Valley of Ella, where David fought Goliath, and, you know, to think about a pastor running for office just seems so illogical these days. Who wants to, to get involved in something like that? And the Lord just kept showing me that when there was a call for a, a soldier, no soldier stepped up, but a shepherd did. And I'm thankful, you know, to get to hear your story and, and to be challenged. And honestly, we came back impressed, um, but having no clue how, how that would, you know, take us or, or what that would lead to. And in, in a very short period of time after returning, one of our local county commissioners uh, died unexpectedly, and within um, a few days, I was asked to consider running to fill that vacancy. And now, my, now wait, let, yeah. let's just pause for a second yeah. because uh, this commissioner passes mm -hmm. away. They come to you, and you're a registered Republican. Yes, sir. Now, now this commission seat, this commissioner seat, mm -hmm. is in a district that is primarily Democrat. It is, and a beloved commissioner, even to me. He was, yeah. a, he was a dear friend. Uh, he was the local baseball coach of our high school, the football coach of our high school. All of my children had played sports for him. And, you know, so it was a great honor to, to be considered to run for that, but to realize you're almost running on the other side. You know, yeah. you are. And when I finally agreed to run, it was the idea, well, running and winning is two different things. Um, and to be honest, most of us are, are prideful enough that we really don't want to run for something that we're pretty well convinced we're going to lose. We'd just rather not put our name in there. Um, but praying about it, talking with my wife about it, you know, we said, you know, obviously we can't determine the outcome of this election, but we can determine who runs. And I went to the you, powers. You've you got to repeat that. That is such a good line. Yeah. You can't determine who's going to win, but you can determine who's going to run. Oh, absolutely. And, and she said, well, you know if you don't win, you're going to lose. Well, that's, you know, it's pretty deep, um, you know. Um, so, you know, just through that process, you know, I, I met with, with our our political powers that be. And, and you know, I, I had preached for, you know, 20 years. Politics was made up of two root words, poly and ticks, many blood-sucking insects. And all of a sudden now I'm going to jump into such a, such a place. So I, I said, you know, if I'm going to run, I'm going to do this the same way, as we have our ministry, we're going to be above board. Our integrity is far more important than any election. Um, you know, if I win, it, this is a, a temporary office, but my ministry is eternal. I'm not going to allow this to, to, to take away from, from our main focus. And I think the idea is, well, how does a pastor become a politician? Like they're two opposing career fields or something. But there's absolutely no reason why a person can't do both and can't do both effectively in fact, the gift sets of a good pastor are also the gift sets of a good politician. The, the, the fact is, as a pastor in that community for uh, about 20 years at that point, I'd already had a good reputation amongst the people. In fact, you know, you mentioned about it was a heavily Democratic district. Right. Um, um, very, um, the African-American population in our district outweighs the, 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 the Anglo population. So there was that thought, how is a... Um, you know, this a white, white Republican, Republican, conservative, evangelical. Absolutely. Yeah. But you go back 20 years, 
I'd preached in the African-American churches. I'd done African-American funerals. I, I, the business owners that were African-American loved me. We had a, a relationship. And I wasn't trying to exploit that. Don't misunderstand. No. But the fact was, it God had just given this, me favor. To you, it wasn't a partisan issue. You, mm. you loved the community. Oh, yeah. And, well, for and, 20 years, we'd done that, not yeah. thinking we'd be running for office. Right. I mean, certainly everything we did over those 20 years was not in the back of my mind. Hey, this is going to get me some good points with this community. Let me put a pause on that and ask you this question. Prior to going to Israel, because mm -hmm. uh, many pastors are atypical in the sense that, or, or are typical in the sense that they separate politics from the mm -hmm. pulpit, and and they they just they just don't think the church has any role in that. Mm -hmm. Would would you describe yourself prior to the trip to Israel somewhere along those lines? Um, I think it was an outsider looking in, and and I was very, I mean, I was pretty bold in in proclaiming. Um, when I was frustrated um, over decisions that our politicians had made, whether it was locally or on a, um, you know, an, um, state or national level, right. it just didn't matter. I, I would certainly share my disappointments publicly. I would encourage people to register to vote. Um, almost scold our people when they didn't vote, or at least didn't vote how I thought they should. But um, you know, looking back, I was politically minded. But always from the outside saying, those folks need to do a better job, not I want to go be one of those folks so I can do a better job than they're doing. That makes yeah. any sense. No, that makes total sense. Um, but, you know, again, looking back, um, the, the night or actually the day that, that, that I filed to run, I walked out of the office um, at the Board of Elections and there's our local media. There's the local Democratic leaders that had been tipped off that some you know, guys up here filing for this office? Because I actually filed immediately um, before a Democratic candidate was even named. And I did that because I did not want our community to think, well, he's running against somebody. I'm running for something. I think that's, yeah. it's important. There's that's a, a difference word. in that. So, I, so I, I actually filed a week before the Democratic candidate did. And I began praying at that moment. Crazy as this sounds, for whomever would be nominated. Because there, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, the odds are with this other person, um, this man or this woman that they're and, and you know, God somehow allow it to be someone that may have a D behind their name but may be fairly conservative and yeah. may actually vote right. Because in our area there are some Democrats that do vote with the Republicans yeah. by and large. And Well you know, the, the the nation's being held together right now by Joe Manchin, couple, who's yeah. a Democrat in West Virginia, yeah. who's holding back on that, you know, negating the filibuster and, yeah. and Kirsten Cinema. I mean so Right. Conservatives across the country are praying for these two senators that they hold Absolutely. the line. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. So um, we, we we ran, and but I determined, and you, you know me well enough to know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put all my heart and soul into it. Yeah. I'm not going to halfway do anything. You know, I, I'm a baseball player from way back, and I, I went to the dugout sometimes with my bat in my hand, but it was never from it being on my shoulder. I'm going to go down swinging. So I said, we're we're going to do what we've got to do. I had, had no clue how much it would cost. Um, how I could possibly raise money. Because it's one thing to ask people to tithe and be faithful to the Bible, but to ask people to give to you, that's just not something I, I would do. And I didn't ask a single soul to support me financially, but when we finished our campaign, I had extra money and thought, what am I going to do with this? Because you have to have a plan to get rid of all, to disperse this money. Um, who's going to work for me? I'm not going to ask my church members to come out and work the polls. I'm just not. Um, but folks stepped up and said, we believe in you. We love what you're doing. We want to help you. Um, you know, and I look back at that, and again, my God shall supply all of my need, all of my need, and he did over and above what we ever could have imagined. So we, a lot of early voting this year, um, or last year now, um, my wife worked the polls, some of our church members ended up stepping up and worked the polls. I did what I could, um, and election day, we won with about a 60-40 vote. Um, 
It would, it, tell me the breakdown, Democrat, Republican in the, in the county. Uh, well, in our district, you're looking about 65% Democrat and about 30%, uh, no, I'm sorry, about 20% Republican and about another, you know, 15, 20%. Non-affiliated. So you you um, had to you had to pull an enormous segment of the Democrat community, and to get the the numbers that we got, um, it defies logic. And there are those that think it's an anomaly, that it was just interesting because here's this preacher, um, and and the person that ended up filing to run against me was um, a local lawyer that did not really have favor with that with with the, with the entire community. Um, so it, it's a but an unexpired term, two years, which means next year I'm running again. That's going to be where, you know, the rubber meets the road. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to have really be put to the test there. Again, we're going to give it our best shot. Um, but you won by a pretty large margin. We did. We did. And we had a very high voter turnout. You know, that was because there was, that was yeah. uh, a, a lieutenant governor was running. You had, was it, yeah. We had a governor's governor, race, we had a president's race. race. Yeah, lieutenant governor's um, race. Next year, um, the sheriff will be running. And in our community, that's a big race. Yeah. That is a huge race. Um, you know, $100,000 spent on campaigns, you know, for the sheriff's race. Um, you know, and so we're just, we're praying, you know, for favor there. Again, there's really no substitute for the favor of God. And that's where you're at and what you're experiencing. And, and you can't explain that. You know, especially to political pundits that are saying, how did this happen? And we're going to try to, you know, there's another campaign in the other part of the state. We want to use whatever you did. And I said, well, better spend a lot of time praying and then working. Yeah. You know, I went to a lot of doors. I went to doors in communities that people probably wonder, why are you coming to our community? Well, I just thought maybe they'd vote for me. There were people who voted for me and told me they did that had never voted for a Republican in their life wow. and never thought they would. Um, and basically, they didn't vote for a Republican or a Democrat. They just voted for me. Right. And, and I'm honored. I'm humbled. I'm going to tell you, in ministry, we say at times, I'm humbled by this. I'm honored by this. But when someone told me, I voted for you, there was a sense of humility that, yeah. that poured over me, a sense of responsibility. I want to do a good job for the constituents and certainly a good job just to do the right thing. Um, it's been a blessing. It's been a, it's been an interesting experience. Let me let me back it up a little bit because you and I both invoked a, a pretty special name to, to the two of us, David Lane, mm -hmm. American Renewal Project. I, I I didn't know my elbow from my earlobe mm -hmm. when it came to running for office. Um, I, I I always would bring candidates in during election yeah. season. I've been the pastor of the church twenty years. Um, I, I was raised political by my family long before I was a Christian. I, I was walking precincts uh, with my mom and dad. My dad ran for city council. So it was a natural fit for me to bring candidates in because I, I figured we want to be a part of our community and I want people to hear about it because they govern by our consent. I understand the Constitution. I understand the Declaration of Independence. I, I was a history major. But when I got introduced to David Lane, I went to one of these American Renewal Projects and I started to realize that you know, uh, we, we've been gypped on uh, the, uh, a true history of our nation, and now we've got the 1619 Project, mm -hmm. Revisionist History. And then to step into the political arena, I don't know if they told you this, but they told me, I know I told you, mm -hmm. that the threat is you're gonna, your congregation's going to dwindle and giving's right. going to go down. And it was true for us. People left. I remember one guy left on, on an Easter Sunday. He was one of our largest tithers. He says, uh, you're too political. You were political on Easter service. I'm out of here. And he left. And which, which was funny to me because he, he had run for a local office. And I thought of all the people he would understand, but he was gone. And I, I was left kind of going, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to figure this out, Lord. I'm just being obedient. But then something changed and the church grew and giving increased. And, and uh, unlike you, 
I don't pass an offering bag. I, I only teach on tithing as we expositionally go through the text. So the text teaches not to do it. But we don't have, you know, and, and I'm not dismissing or diminishing a, an approach because I know everyone has a different way to go about things. I don't raise money in a church. I never ask for money. We have, even in the service, we'll pray over the offering, but I never pass an offering bag. But when I ran for office, I found it easier to ask for money to run for office for this reason, that it's not my campaign, it's ours. And if I'm going to govern by your consent, your consent is to support this campaign. I'll put my name on the bumper sticker. I'll take the slings and arrows. But this is your campaign, not mine. And if you want me to govern by your consent, then give me some consent. Absolutely. So it was easier for me to, to ask people for that because I'm asking them for something that they say they want a part of. If you believe in this campaign, then support it. Absolutely. Um, so, so David Lane inspired me. And then you take this trip that is sponsored by the American Renewal Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here we are. I, I remember being at the, 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 the southern steps of the temple mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. And we had that conversation about the ecclesia. And, and I, well, I think we were all pretty tired, but we got in a little bit of rest because of the jet lag and everything. And I don't know about you, but at that moment, you know, because I speak a lot, uh, I, I felt such a presence of the Absolutely. Lord at that moment. I could see in the faces of these pastors yeah. that something clicked. And, and this has been a friendship with all of us because when I go back to North Carolina, the, these guys are just all in. But I have to tell you, I, I didn't know who in this group of pastors would would be called and and it though you may have been inspired at that that sermon at the southern steps it was at the valley of elah that the yeah. lord hit you and that's where david slew goliath absolutely and i think looking back um you know i'm standing in israel that's after 26 years of ministry and being confronted with this word ecclesia and just feeling almost guilty like i need to go back and contact everybody that's been under my pastoring and under my preaching for 26 years and said, listen, you need to come back. I need to get something straightened out with you. I'm sorry. We, we'd been trying to build a church for people who were looking for a really good church. And we need to build a better church so that crowd down the street so more people would come to our church than their church. And you're standing there and you're going, oh, my goodness, how could I have been so wrong? And there's nothing wrong with, with the churches and the buildings and the, and the yeah. programs buildings, and all budgets that. and baptisms. Yeah, yeah. And, and all that. But I realized, you know, this is a movement. This is, and, and you know, the fact of the matter is that if, it, if it's not a movement right now, the church is going to close its doors. There you go. And um, so I think that, that, that was very, you know, confront, uh, you know c- confronting to my spirit. In fact, I came back and, and preached about a six-month series the following summer, which is our peak season um, from, you know, you might as well say March over till about October. Because and, and your coastal community, is, it's, a, it, it's transient beach community. Absolutely. Yeah, I got you. So I knew I've got this six-month period where we're going to have large attendance. This is when I want, we're going to focus on the Ecclesia. So for six months, every single Sunday was on the Ecclesia. We chased it from one end to the other and left no stone unturned. Let's do this for the folks tuning in that are going, what is he talking about, Ecclesia? So, so we were at the headwaters of the Jordan, um, which is up near Caesarea Philippi. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jesus, Matthew 16, 18, you know, these, these uh, disciples of the Lord hike all the way up from Galilee and it's a long haul up to the headwaters of the Jordan at Caesarea mm-hmm. Philippi. I mean, that's northernmost part of Israel. And the headwaters of the Jordan, it's a beautiful park-like setting. And every culture that has conquered that land has set up uh, a temple to their deity. And mm-hmm. so in the cliffs of Caesarea Philippi are all these different deities, you know, Bacchus and Aphrodite. And the Greeks were there, the Romans were there. 
and, and so we're there, and, and, and we go back to Matthew 16, where Jesus, with these Jewish boys around them, and hearing the cacophony of noise of all these cultures worshiping these different gods and goddesses, says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And, and some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Jeremiah. And he says, but yet, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who says you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my, and that's where we got this word ecclesia, because most people say, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, that word didn't come until 400 years later. Right. The word translated by Tyndale from the Greek into the English language for the English-speaking Bible, he translated it correctly, and he was hung and then burned. His remains were burned for translating it into public square or assembly because Jesus co-opted a secular term. He didn't say synagogue or temple. He said ecclesia. Ecclesia has existed hundreds of years before Jesus co-opted the term. Mm -hmm. And that was basically the city hall where the citizens of, of Athens or the Greek community would gather to decide the political welfare of the community. And above the door of every ecclesia or ecclesia were two words, isonomia and eleutheria, uh, li liberty and justice, or, or yeah. And so liberty and equality, justice and equality, these, these words were on the door. And so they would contend. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, uh, up, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, and by the way, gates, imprisonment, slavery, right. will not prevail. So government done properly sets people free. Government done improperly takes away freedom, enslavement. I think we're seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And so... This is revolutionary to you. It was to me when I first started studying it. And, and Charlie Kirk and I went deep into that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm baffled that, that the church has abandoned this understanding. And we've been inculcated in our generation that, or indoctrinated that pastors aren't supposed to be involved in politics. Yeah. And now you're neck deep in it. You're, you're a county commissioner and you, you won in a primarily democratic dis district that's predominantly black you're a white Republican. That doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't, and a lot of what God does doesn't make any sense. You know, I think back probably five years ago, a good friend of mine was, was in the political world and really harped about 1954, the Johnson Amendment, and how, how you know, wrong that was and, and, and what that had done. But what I saw was... Ex explain to everybody the Johnson well, Amendment. Basically, you want me to do it or you got it? You, you're a lot smarter than me, but basically it, 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 it convinced pastors that it was illegal, unethical, lose your tax-exempt status, they'll take your church, they'll, you know, whatever. If you speak out for a political party candidate, you know, a particular election, you know, you just got to stay away from that. But what I saw was it became an easy way out for the pastors who, who said, I really don't want to be there because it's uncomfortable. I know it's going to make people not like me or whatever because most pastors really want to be liked really, really bad. So they use the, the the Johnson Amendment as their justification. As their justification, and then you would hear, you know, people would say, "Well, how many churches have ever lost none? How many of churches have ever been sued? How many none? how many churches have ever lost their tax exempt status by the Johnson Amendment? Right. None. None. Yeah. So why are we running around scared to death? You know, yeah. it's it's crazy. Of course. Well, in addition, even even if you fall in the constraints of the Johnson Amendment, which is a violation of Absolutely. the First Amendment, and you know, I've mailed my sermons into the mm -hmm. IRS saying, "Come after me." They can't because a church is an organic. Right. I mean, we, they come after, we just close the doors and open up as another gathering. A yeah. church is, 
by definition, a gathering of, mm. of people. And, and they, they don't have that authority based on the First Amendment. But what's fascinating is it's the churches who have self-imposed these regulations for the purpose of avoiding not being liked and not being political. And what's, what's fascinating to me, Cameron, is the reason why I brought up a, 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 a white Republican in a primarily black Democrat mm -hmm. county is, is not to describe race. Mm -hmm. Because here we are in, in a season where critical race theory is pitting us against one another based on Absolutely. an immutable trait, which is our, our, our melanin content. And yet because of 20 years plus of ministry in that community, you're, you're dealing with people. Oh yeah, absolutely. not not skin types. Absolutely. Well, and, and I didn't and they, pander and, to and, them. I, I but they've come to know. love you. Yeah, and, and you was, love them. It was a natural thing for them yeah. to vote for me. It wasn't that I went out and promised them anything. It wasn't that there was pandering or, or or just politicking for any particular group of people. In fact, people would say, "Well, what are you going to do with this part of the you know community or this or what are you going to do for us or for us?" And I would say, "Well, you know, as a pastor through the years, I never tried to do what was best for this group or that. I'm going to do what's best for the church or the ecclesia. So we're going to do what's best for the county. We're going to do what what's right. Yeah. And and it's, you know, governing is is not that difficult. It's you just do the right thing collectively. The problem is when you've got people trying to do the wrong thing on every side, and you're trying to find that that middle ground of what is right. Um, but it, it, interesting about a, a commissioner, because uh, you have cities that have city councils." But the county commissioner is the one that uh, basically is the, the you're, you're you're the board of directors for the county, and and in, in your as a county commissioner, which for us would be a county supervisor, do you elect and and how many commissioners are there? In your nine. Board? Okay, nine so you got two. nine. Do you have a chairman? We do. Okay, and th that's selected by the other. It pretty much uh, the right now we have a five to four majority Republican, so we have a Republican chairman, and that that became very heated this year because the Democrats felt like it was time to have a Democrat chairman. We basically said, well, that sounds good, you know, it's like being on the playground; it's your turn to get to be captain or whatever. But that's just not the way it works. We have a, a Republican majority; we're going to have a Republican, um, you know, uh, chairman, and and it, it you know it, it works. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is. We always think that the higher the office, you know, let, let's run for Senate. Let's oh, run. Can I can I interrupt real quick? Please. You said it's five to four. Mm -hmm. The commissioner that passed away, mm -hmm. Democrat or Republican? He was Democrat. So so, so it was it, it reversed it. Yes, so sir. your election turned the. It, it did, and and it had gone back and forth through the years. Um, had been Republican majority more times than Democrat simply because of the way the districts are in our county. Mm -hmm. and, and the Democrats are not happy about that or are constantly trying to change that. But every time they try to change it, it seems to backfire. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, I think the mindset, and I think it's important for, for pastors and for, and for Christians to hear, you know, there are those that think, well, I'm not going to run for city council. I'm not going to run for school board. I'm not going to run for state center. I'm going to run for, you know, U.S. House of Representatives. Governor. Yeah, yeah governor. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to skip all those steps. But the fact of the matter is that, it's, and I think especially right now the school board, we're impacting more lives on the local level, be it school board, be it commissioners or, or whatever, than you will probably do in a state senate. Because you're you you know you're sitting there with 100 other people, you're, you're not going to impact one person that much. But when you sit there and somebody walks in and says, you know, my mother's 80 years old and she can't get out of her driveway when it rains because the ditch hadn't been cleaned out, can you please help? And we get in our car and drive out and we say, you know what, we need to help this woman. 
and this 80-year-old woman can now get out to get to her doctor's appointment. That may not sound like a huge political gain, but man, you've helped somebody, and we're supposed to be public servants. The further up the food chain you go to federal, and that's the high mark, and then you got state, and then you got county, and then you got local. At the local level, city council, I'm accessible every Sunday as a pastor, and folks who wouldn't darken the doors of a church would come and they, they would sit through a service or they wouldn't even sit through a service. They'd just come in and then find me at the end of a church service or, or they'd see me in a supermarket uh, and, and they can talk directly to that elected representative. And when they're frustrated, they bring you know, state issues to us or they bring federal issues, do something. And of course, we have the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. We can contend, but that depends on how strong the council is to do that. And as a commissioner, at the county level, you're accessible. And not just that, you're a pastor. So every Sunday, yeah. folks know where to find you. Well, and, and they know what you stand for. Um, yeah. I think you could be an elected official and people say, I really don't know this guy. He just, I kind of like his sign better than the other guy's sign. So as a pastor, you've been there. Everybody in the community knows you. You know, in, in most communities, everybody knows the pastors. They know the lawyers. They know the p politicians. But they only know the politicians through their signs and their name. They know their pastor's heart. They've yeah. been able to spend time with them. And, you know, so it, it was a blessing. I do feel like being a pastor has made me a better politician. I don't think it would probably be the case reversed um, um, because I'm not political. I, I never have enjoyed church I, business meetings, things I, like that. I disagree with you. Okay. And the reason why I disagree with you is because I've seen a change in you. Mm -hmm. Meaning, when we're behind that, that, that wooden box on a Sunday, uh, we're, speaking to, uh, we're speaking to home field advantage. True. But when you step in and you are now in a pluralistic society representing, what's the population of Bladen County? About 35,000. And in your district? Um, 10,000 roughly. Okay, so you got that. 500 people on a good Sunday. And you're saying 35, how many did you say? 35,000 in total county. Okay, but you said in Bladen, I mean in your in your About district. 10,000. Okay, so so you got you got 10,000 people you're representing. You're speaking to 500 on a home field advantage. But you're starting to realize now, because you've gotten out amongst folks that you wouldn't typically interact with as a, as a pastor of a church of 500, you're starting to see them in your sermon preparation. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're starting to see the entirety of your community when it comes to what's the best way to reach this community, what's the best way to minister to this community, what are some of the needs that I wasn't aware of now that I'm sitting on the commission. It, mm. it makes you a better pastor. Well, and I've seen it in yeah. you. Well, and I think it makes you have a heart for the people that you probably wouldn't have ever known. There you had, go. Had that. You know, one of our first commissioner meetings, some farmers called me and said, we need you to help address the beaver problem. And I'm thinking to myself, I really, I chuckled and I said, I've been elected to be a big time politician, you know, to help solve the beaver problem. Then I did some research and these little animals were creating literally millions of dollars of damage to some of our large farm owners. What, what do they farm there in Bladen County? A um, little bit of everything. used to be tobacco. That's no, no longer there. Peanuts, um, some corn, um, soybeans everywhere I think now. Yeah. Um, but you could have a farmer have a very strong crop and because of the damage done by the beavers, they lose their crop. Well, that's big. And, and I feel guilty now thinking it was laughable. Because, I, you know, everybody's got their own issues of what, what's causing them problems. But these farmers, this was a big deal. So I thought, well, I'll do the very best I can. So I approached it. We looked at some options. And now I'm having farmers send me letters and send me emails and call me and say, thank you so much for what you did. You got the folks down from the state. 
you know, here's the before picture, here's the after picture, and I'm thinking, wow, it was effective. Yeah. Um, you know, there again, and, and it, at times you're thinking, Lord, did you call me to solve the beaver population, you know, the beaver population, overpopulation problem? But that's part of the job. So, so one of my very first council meetings is I sat through a six, I kid you not, a six-hour meeting basically cut, discussing the circumference of oak trees. Mm. And, and the, the strictest oak tree ordinance, I think, of any city in the country. And, and public comments uh, took hours. Mm. And, you know, you can go, come on, it's a tree. <laughs> but you start to realize some yeah. of these trees are hundreds of years yeah. old. Yeah. And, and you go and, and, you, and, and you do your homework and you go out and you, you see the majestic nature of these trees right. and, and what it takes. And then you also see, you know, folks that didn't plant the tree. They bought the property. It's come to this place. They can't develop on there. And, and you, you've got to weigh this because, you know, you, you're given a gift by nature of these majestic heritage trees. Yeah. You, you don't want to just make it a, a, a lunar landscape of destroying sure. these unbelievable gifts from God. Yeah. But in the same regard, you also know with the 15th Amendment, this is their private property. Yeah, and without remuneration, you can't take things from them. Yeah. And you, you also see that, that some politicians use their authority to almost be tyrannical, to devalue someone's property by their actions that, that they've spent their life investing in. And, and one move of a politician who's committed not to the pluralistic aspect or, or even the individual that when they purchased that property, they had no idea in mind that this legislative move would wipe out their, right. th th their, their life savings. So th that required a six-hour meeting. And, and what is the heart of the community and what do they want? And so I, I learned a lot. Sure. Well, you, you don't want the name of your city to be Thousand Stumps, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, and, and, and I think you make a good point in that the decisions we're making today will affect the next generation and the next generation. When you and, sit over, under one of these heritage trees yeah. and you realize generations have sat under this, yeah. and you're thinking, oh, these got to be protected. Oh, yeah. And, and a, a, a nation, a city, a county, a community grows great whose citizens mm -hmm. plant trees of, of which shade they'll never know. And then you see scripturally, oaks of righteousness. Yeah. Um, there's something God invoking to these trees. And, and, um, and yet even with conservative principles, mm -hmm. there's these three concentric circles uh, that you're probably going to start to understand. That you, you've, got, you've got industry, which is jobs. You've got housing. And then you've got open space. Right. And, and there's a sweet spot where they, they intersect. Sure. But if one is too big, if you're really into industry, then the open space dwindles mm. and the quality of living declines. And, and, if, and if too many houses, the, yeah. you know, then the industry will, will you know, and, and it, the there's, there's got to yeah. be this balance. Sure. And, and that is because our, our community, especially Thousand Oaks, we're at a place where one of the last large vestiges of development, and, and we're watching, I mean, if we're going to be a biotech corridor, mm. um, and we want to maintain this, which we will, uh, this, this ring of open space, which, which makes us beautiful. And we, it is. It's stunning. But we've got to bring industry in. We're watching where housing mm -hmm. is unaffordable. There's nothing on the market right now. We've got R1 zoned uh, property right next to the freeway, which they want to call it wetlands. And, and there's, a, there's a, a county supervisor who is using an easement on a, uh, with with impunity. I mean, they, they are using that as leverage to just abuse this landowner. 
And and I I went to to um, the Army Corps of Engineers on uh, on behalf of the city um, on a lobbying trip to figure out because they want to call it a floodplain. But I came to realize whatever the county's doing it has no bearing on this piece of property. Right. But they use an easement mm -hmm. to destroy that and hold them hostage. That's not the purpose of government. Yeah. And interesting, that same county commission or that same county supervisor is the one that hired the attorney to come after us. Yeah. And now there's a recall for that that supervisor. Mm. You can't abuse your authority yeah. to, to be tyrannical to to take mm. by the fifteenth amendment someone's property and make it worthless. You know, so you, you've got a you've got an important role. Well I think so. I, you know I think about I've always wondered what in the world would prompt someone to want to be an umpire at a little league game. Either he loves the game and loves the kids, or he's just so hungry for power. Mm. And it's sort of the same thing with, with, with an elected official. And, and I watch, and I wondered, I wondered what, when I ran, I thought, if I get elected, how will I feel, or will I feel different when I walk into the grocery store? We only have one in our, in our town. Well, I think. Is it a Piggly Wiggly? No, it's a food line. <laughs> and, and it's not even in our town. It's in the next town over. But how will I feel? Will, will I hold myself a little bit higher? Will I feel a little proud or whatever? And the answer is absolutely not. It's the other way around. I feel, I don't feel like these people in this grocery store with me are looking up to me. I think they're looking, I think they're hoping I'm looking out for them. Amen. Um, not that I'm now in a position of high regard, but I'm in a place of some level of respect, but more importantly, a place of responsibility. The, the difference is you're not walking in thinking you're elite and yep. you're going to do for them what they don't understand they need done. Good point. Good point. Yeah. You're going to listen to them and you're going to see their life and you're going to work with them. But what we found is politicians who, you know, I'm smarter than my constituents oh, yeah. and yeah. I'm going to do for them with my vision what they don't understand. And I'll... I'll I'll do whatever mean, means is necessary because the ends justify the means. And, and even if I have to abuse a few people in the process, I'll do it. Yeah. That's not the way it works. Well, and, and just make promises you can't keep. Uh, one of the first meetings we had, we had a lot of rain in our area. So we had um, basically a courtroom full of people that were wanting to speak. And we knew something was up. We really didn't know what was coming. And they were from the African-American community. And one after the other, people stepped up and said, there's, there's something going on. Our properties are flooding, but the, the nicer communities, the white communities, they're not flooding. And some of the politicians said, well, we're going we're gonna to contact the Corps of Engineers, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and just hang in there, and we'll, we'll get it. And, and I finally, I said, I'm going to speak, and I'm probably not going to say something very popular. I really don't think there's anything we can do for you other than build your property up, and next month we're going to have your four neighbors near complaining because we've run all of your water off on, the, off on them. I said, the best to understand history, somewhere along the way, maybe 75 years ago or so, um, a lot of folks took advantage of a, lot of a lot of your parents and grandparents, and they sold them low land. And that was probably the only land that your you know, ancestors uh, could, afford. could afford at that time. And it flooded then, and it's flooding now, and sadly, it's probably always going to flood. It's just low land. It's basically swamp land. And you know you built a, your people built a home in the swamp, swamps, and and there's little that can be done. And then I kind of held my breath, and they sat there and shook their head. They were disappointed, probably hurt, but it was the truth. And they're not going to go back home and sit on their porch and wait to see when the Corps of Engineers are going to come and solve their problems because some problems can't be solved. And I just think being honest with people and just not trying to sell them something, not trying to kick a can down the road. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, that's still a work in progress. I'm not sure what's going to come of that. There are some things that you can do to help divert water and all that. Yeah. But the point was there's no ultimate fix 
to building in a swamp. Yeah, water's going to go somewhere. We've got to figure out how to do yeah. that. But right now, yeah. that, that's, it's either you're going to be risen and others are going to be affected. And yeah, yeah so, yeah, that, and, and making promises you can't keep, that's, that's a solid statement that you need to really honor your word. Your well, word matters. It does. And years ago as a pastor, I finally just gave up trying to please everybody because I realized if I please this group, this group was mad and vice versa. So I finally just said, God, I'm going to please you. And God, that means... I'm going to make half the team happy and half the team mad, and some people are going to leave just like the guy did on Easter, and not everybody's going to understand, but if I just do the right thing in your sight. In the same way, um, I sit there in that position of, of, of governing, and I, you know, if I go in there and say, what, how can I choose my words to keep everybody happy? I'm going to just be talking in circles and accomplishing nothing. So we're just going to go in there. We're going to do the very best we can. And the cool thing is, you know, you're not there for the money. You're not there for the prestige because that, that goes the first time somebody walks in and says, fix my beaver problem. Um, you, you're there because you truly love your community. You think you can bring something to the table that's going to be a benefit and a blessing to the community as a whole. Um, so you really have nothing to lose. That's the thing. I want pastors here. It, 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 we have this idea, well, if we do this, we're going to be putting ourselves out there. We got all the, We have nothing to lose and everything to gain, you know. Um, but... You know, the, the spirit of complacency and apathy, it is oh, just the, the spirit of complacency and apathy, apathy, especially since we've had the lockdowns. And, and in North mm-hmm. Carolina, you've got Governor Cooper. Yeah, and, and a lot of your churches just remained shut and shuttered and masked and distanced. And they were doing live stream. Uh, they, they didn't reopen. Some of the largest churches in the country are still doing it via live stream, which is baffling to me. I don't understand that. And, and they're, they're complicit with this BLM Inc. posting the black tiles. And, and, and you know, here you are. Life was pretty simple as a pastor of a church mm-hmm. that, you know, you got a new building, you're on the coast, it's easy going, mm-hmm. you got 500 people, you don't have to deal with the, you know, 10,000 in your district, um, you, you, you don't have to be the problem solver, you don't have to sit through hour-long meetings, you don't have to read copious amounts of mm-hmm. some mammal you didn't know anything about, yep. um, and, and working with a group of citizens that really, in, in the course of a pastor's life, don't even matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've made your life a lot harder. Well, I think it is, and I, I'm thankful. You, you mentioned about the, the oak trees, you know. I'm thankful that there were people who loved me enough that they gave me a, a country and a community to inherit that was worth inheriting. Um, you know, I, I don't understand. I've never been the guy that wanted to be on the sidelines. You know, I wanted to be in the game. I wanted the bat in my hand at the bottom of the night, two down and, you know, runners on. And, and I think that's the same thing. You know, you, you talk about COVID. We spent a couple of days in Seal Beach, and everything's wide open except the churches. I would get up. Four o'clock every morning, just go walk and, and talk to the Lord and pray. Seal Beach, right? Locally here. Yep, locally yeah. here. And everything's wide open. All the bars, all the restaurants, all the gift shops, antique stores. I mean, that's that's essential. Yeah. Um, everything's open. Um, and I do think it's essential. I think everything's essential. If it's not essential, close your doors and go home. Yeah. But the churches, I would go by and they would have these large, very professionally printed, you know, boards outside. There. Obviously, they're not planning on taking down anytime soon. Basically, guilting you. We are no longer having in-person services because we love God and we love others and because the Bible says this, that, and the other. And they have closed indefinitely. Beautiful bit as I thought. So you think so much of the community that you're going to close to keep them safe, but you don't think enough of the community to stay open and minister to them. Well, and, and especially now that the numbers are coming out, we have, we have an unbelievable spike. We're leading the nation in, in suicides in California. Uh, one of our state centers, I, I've got all the information. We're going to be doing it on a program here. Uh, in, in, in the United States, in, in American history, 
in a 12-month period, the largest recorded number of opioid deaths ever recorded in American history in a 12-month period. We're, we're, we're watching as the state of California is realizing this lockdown was a train wreck. And what it's done, and they say, they, they say they're loving their neighbors. Mm. Well, what, then obviously whatever they were doing was non-essential. I agree. Because people are hurting, and, yeah. and, and watching church online is like watching a fireplace. You can, you can see it in here, but no you can't heat. feel the warmth. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I did a funeral a couple months ago, a little girl named Charlie, and Charlie's 12 years old. On her 12th birthday, took her life. Mm. And I struggled to try to figure out what would prompt that, what would cause that. And for one solid year, almost to the day, she had not gone to school. Mm. School was her happy place. Her teachers all came to her funeral and said, we didn't see this coming. She was the life of the party, always singing, always dancing, always full of life. And they said that wasn't her at home. And she became just more and more and more withdrawn. The one thing that she had that she longed for is to go to school and to be with those friends and, this is criminal. And, and we're, we're trying to minister to her family now, and they're just asking why. And, and they, they've asked to meet with the governor. He'll have nothing to do with yeah. it. won't respond to any kind of emails. They don't want to hear it. And now, you know, I take my little girl to school every day, and, you know, she's forced to wear a mask, and it's dehumanizing. I hurt. I grieve. But everybody seems like we're doing the noble thing, and there's nothing noble about that. And, um, again, you know, who's going to make the decision? School boards, um, you know. At some point, you know, with all the governor's mandates and everything, at some some point, some of the school boards just got to say, "We've got to figure a way to do." What okay, so do. the school boards to make the decision, but who makes the decision? Who's on the school board? Exactly, you know. Now, it, it, and, and if we think that we're not supposed to be involved in politics, yeah. and they're going to make the decision, but we don't, we're not involved in their election. Yeah. Well, then we're complicit with whatever decisions they make by our apathy. Okay. Well, and where we are in the southeastern part of North Carolina, we have had a huge influx of, of northerners, and God, God bless them. In Californians, I imagine. Yeah, some. Um, they come from everywhere because North Carolina is a pretty cool place to be. Well, a few years ago, people started noticing something. All of a sudden, all around our community, um, not just in our particular place, but all over the state, roundabouts. Roundabouts. Yeah, roundabouts. European things. Yeah, and... and, and it's funny because our pe some people get, get, get caught in them and they're just going and going and going. And like, let me out, like some kind of video game. But people would say, how did we end up with these roundabouts? Well, what we did was we elected people to our county commissioners, our city council or whatever, and they were from other places that had roundabouts. I don't know how they work back there. They're not working so well for us. But people didn't even know who they had elected until they saw the roundabouts. And then they said, how did these happen? Oh, it's because we elected these people. And they went back and said, well, how did they get elected? So obviously people don't even know what's going on, which tells you one thing, and that is it's not that hard to get elected. Yeah. It's bad to say, but a lot of people are elected almost in the back door, especially in off-year elections. I mean, you have people, we have had mayors in our county elected by like three votes yeah. because 10 people showed up. Yeah. One person can get all of their family to go vote for them, and they get elected, and that's dangerous. Again, because there's a lot of people running for all the wrong reasons. And we as Christians say we want to see our, our, our country re be, be revived. We want to see our communities thrive. Well, then we better do something about it. Not just react when all of a sudden we start seeing a bunch of roundabouts. Not just react when we see ungodly principles. Cameron, tell me, uh, tell me what happened with your congregation. Uh, sure. uh, they, they, you've been the pastor there how long? Total, uh, 20, 20 years. Um, and, and the church I pastor now was a church plant from our original okay. church. So it's, it's been kind of a transition time. Okay, so folks have been with you for 20 years. Long time. And they've, they've seen uh, the, the change. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've been with you through this season. You come back from Israel. Um, you and your wife, Tiffany, are praying. God tells you guys something. 
are, are you an elder run or are you, uh, what, what's your form of government? Um, currently, a uh, pastor-led church. Okay. Very, very, very So your strong. bylaws, uh, you, you're kind of the driving yes, sir. component. But you still have advising consent elders. Sure. So um, you, you hear the rumor that, or at least the idea that your church is going to shrink, people are going to, what happens when you decide to do this? And some people go, oh, it's, it's all about him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, what happened? Just I think, too, um, being a pastor that's been there for so long, the people knew that I wasn't given to every whim. Yeah. I didn't do this for a season and this for a season. I wasn't you know, constantly chasing a different goal or a different vision. I was pretty um, structured in our ministry, pretty focused on goal-oriented. So this did fit into kind of my personality. Um, they knew that I was serious about it when I decided to do it. Some people said, we knew you would do this one day. Um, you could see it come. My own children said that, and that shocked me, Rob. I didn't think that would be their response, so we knew we would run for something. Um, they're expecting me to run for other things now, and I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, um, we had a, a few folks that were more on the outside looking in that became very critical. Um, but for the most part, our church body was very, very supportive. Other pastors, not so much. Um, other churches, I mean, I had pastors in pulpits lashing out about this preacher running to be a politician. You know, like somehow I was backsliding. Like somehow I was not going to do my ministry well anymore. And, and there is that fine line to where, you know, I have to not become so politically minded that every sermon and every devotion and everything becomes that. And, and I, I think we're, we're, I'm still trying to find yeah. that, that, that place. You're navigating it. Yeah, and, and I, I want to find where it's the sweet spot, where I'm not, you know, I don't want to get up and just offend people for the sake of offending people and constantly bringing things up. You know, and I think about during COVID, God really, really laid on my heart heavy that just like I have the right not to wear a mask, just like I have the right not to put a needle in my arm, just like I have the right to go and shop and do everything and live free, other people have the right to wear a mask. And they have a right, you know, and, and they have a right to stay home yeah. and watch our services online. Um, and, and the Lord just really laid on my heart, don't, don't take anything personally, yeah. whether it's the political part or whether it's the whole COVID thing. Try to step back and remember Jesus washed Judas's feet too. Yeah. Try to remember that that no, I mean, with, with David, we talk about the Valley of Allah. Not one person said, David, you got this, boy. Nobody was over there making wagers on David, only against yeah, David. Yeah. So we shouldn't think that everybody's going to jump up and down and, and start having celebration parties for us. Um, but that's okay. People aren't the enemy, they're the opportunity. Yeah, I've heard you yeah, and, so and, many times. I love that. You know, and you, you step out in faith, and, uh, and, and the Lord... You know, people's hearts will be moved, and they'll join you if they see it. And if they don't, then they won't. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of those those things that you, you just got to do what God's called you to do, win or lose. It, yeah. It's we're not up to the out. We're not in charge of the outcome. Yeah. We're just in charge of being faithful. Yeah. And the first time I ran, I lost. And actually, the verse he gave me was Job thirteen fifteen. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Mm. You thinking, well, why are you running? I mean, he's gonna. But I was thinking it was more. You know, my opposition research on me, and they were going to attack me, and they were going to, mm. you know, attack the church, and blah, blah, mm. blah. Um, but, but I also got the verse, run in such a way as to win. Okay. And so I did. I ran in such a way as to win. And I, I, I hate losing. I mean, yeah. that's just, I'm, I was a competitive swimmer. I mean, I just, sure. I, I hate losing. Yeah. And um, my opponent was good, and she was a competitive swimmer. And she mm. beat me like a rented mule. <laughs> and I had great respect for her. Uh, but I didn't think I was going to lose. I worked hard. And then I kind of, that night, 2 o'clock in the morning, I just said, you know, Lord, I don't get you. Mm. 
I mean, all these folks poured their heart into this. Mm. But going from 2014 to 2021 and realizing what everything we've been through and yeah. running for council and then becoming mayor pro tem in the shooting and then mayor during mm. the time of healing and then, you know, stepping down with the COVID and then watching this become this lightning rod oh, yeah. for an attack by three of the five supervisors and, and, and watching nationwide this mm -hmm. become an issue. And, you know, God's ways are yeah. way above our own. And, and I, I've come to the conclusion that if he tells me to do something, I don't care what it costs. Yeah. I'm doing it. And when he told us to remain open and realizing we could lose everything, and, and they unleashed on us. And now that there's a recall for this supervisor, their minions are coming after our tax-exempt status. They're all dirty pool. Everything you can imagine, they're, they're pulling out the stops. And I'm almost looking at it going, you don't understand. Stuff like this mm. motivates me because we're <laughs> yes. over the target. Absolutely. And, and, and the, more you, the more you put your boot on my neck, mm. the, the more I'm going to push back. Mm. I'm not a victim, and I'm not putting up with it, and, and neither is the rest of the folks. that Our church has grown 400%. Absolutely. Did, did you see church growth? We, we did. Um, during COVID, we saw people say, I just want to go to church. Yeah. And my church hit and open, and, and I'm going to come. And we've had people to go back now to the church they came from. That was cool. Well, for the season they were there, um, people want a leader. And I think that's true, you know, whether it's politically or, or in the pulpit. They want a leader. They want somebody with the guts to tell them the truth, not arrogance and not you know, being so brazen that's just, I'm seeking to offend everybody I can, but somebody that's willing to stand for the truth. And, you know, through the years, our church was always growing because people are searching for the truth. We're in a transient community, so people come, they move away. They move there, they move away. And at first that was very difficult, but I realized that we're, we're sowing seeds and that wherever they end up, hopefully they're going to be a stronger Christian. They're going to find another strong church. And I wonder what the COVID... Um, consequence going to be on the church? How many churches will survive? How many will thrive after this? I think there'll be churches like yours in this community that five years down the road to look back and go, wow, that, that turning point was, was, the, was the COVID crisis. Yeah. But unfortunately, you're going to see a plethora of churches that are closed. Yeah. Vody Bachman wrote a book called Fault Lines. And in his book, he's, he's describing that this, this COVID thing has divided. And, and you're going to oh watch churches goodness. just implode, and then others are going to... Yeah. It, it's almost like a, a, an awakening. And it's exciting because on this end where we have seen defiance towards tyranny, and then you see co yeah. compliance towards tyranny... Yeah. Uh, folks are moving in droves over to this direction. And, and this is where liberty comes from. And over here, it's just, you know, you're, you're just bowing to tyranny and enslaving humanity for the sake of, of, of social media popularity and being relevant. And Breitbart said that politics is downstream from culture, but, but the church is upstream from culture. We wow. drive culture and culture drives politics, but in the woke church, they mm -hmm. are... They are yielding to someone else's culture-driven uh, ideology, oh, yeah. and, and they're acclimating to it as opposed to driving it. And uh, I'm not driving it for a theocracy or dominionism. I'm driving it for liberty for all the folks in this community, that liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. Absolutely. And, and who better knows that yeah. than, than those who've been set free? Yeah. And listen, I, I'm, I'm not here... So that, you know, the, the 750,000 plus or minus citizens of this county all have to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That, that's, that's, that's God's business. Absolutely. But the law, Galatians 3, is a school teacher and a guardian that points us to Christ until faith comes because there's the laws of nature and nature's God. 
And if you have bad, tyrannical laws, people's freedoms are destroyed. Absolutely. And they come yeah. just like the, the children of Israel crying out to God. Pharaoh has got his, his, his knee on our neck. Yeah. And, 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 and you come with the law, the wise restraints that make men free, and you say, look, uh, they're bound by the seven articles of the Constitution, and, and you have a responsibility in a nation that makes you the sovereign, we the people. And if you don't know your rights, you can't hold them accountable. And all of a sudden, they're awakening. And without my effort, there's a recall on that supervisor. And, and that's, that's waking folks up. And, and now we're going to have a planning commission meeting, or we're going to have a meeting with the city council on, on the future layout of, of, of the zoning of our city. And, and this is going to be the general plan, which is almost 50 years the old one. They're going to have a new general plan. And, and you've got the county weighing in and trying to usurp the autonomy of the city. And they're scared of this tyranny. And folks are going to chime in and say, look, you bow to that tyranny. We're going to do, we're going to, do to you what we're planning on doing to that person. And, and you can't hold that office. You can't hold that office by abusing your constituents. Absolutely. Well, and we, you know, I love when you talk about the we the people, and that's just, I think, needs to stay before folks all the time, that it's not a government from the top down but from the bottom up. Yeah. And, um, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the time in Israel. It changed our life. Um, you know, we didn't go there expecting that. And I keep hoping with the events that we're doing with in North Carolina, and, and now we're um, Iowa. Yeah, you're um, going to Iowa. You know, that hopefully people will see... You know, I came for the sandwich, but I got a, a soul searching. You know, I, I, you know, to 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 see that I can really make a difference, and you know, it is tiring. Um, you mentioned about why would you put something else on your plate, but you know, it's a shame. The people who are already doing a lot will do one more thing. The people who are doing nothing are not going to do one more thing. I mean, you know, they're, they're going to try to figure out how to do one thing less, and there's nothing less they can do. But you know, it's amazing what God has done through the years through just small groups of people that were committed to do the right thing, and I'm thankful to be one of them. You know, when the responsibility increases, so does God's provision. Oh, always. And He makes your bandwidth larger. He also brings into your path people who will help you accomplish those things that you have to undertake. You start to become a conduit for the solution to the citizens' problems. You can make a phone call because you've met somebody because you're putting yourself out there. Absolutely. And and now you become an asset to the community far beyond what you were as just a minister of a church of 500. Now, mm-hmm. now you're a, a, an instrument in the hands of God to be able to connect people to solutions mm-hmm. uh, with with folks who are skilled in those areas because you've you've stepped out there to get to know folks. Absolutely. And um, and I have to tell you, I'm grateful that I'm I'm no longer uh, David Lane's you know poster child. He's got a new one in you. <laughs> and and I got to tell you, my I, my first run at office, I lost. Your first run, mm-hmm. you won. And you didn't just win; you won a commissioner seat, which is a supervisor seat. Sure. And um, and and watching you with your new lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson. What an amazing lieutenant governor. Amazing I mean, I love man. Dan Forrest, yeah. and I'm so bummed he lost, and I don't even know what happened there. Nobody does. Yeah. But Mark Robinson, here he was. He was a factory floor worker. Yep. Um, a black American factory floor worker stands before a commissioner's office dealing with the Second Amendment and their tyranny, mm-hmm. and he lays it out in such an articulate manner that it goes viral across the country with millions of hits, and the next thing you know, he's running for lieutenant governor and wins. Yeah. And this guy is a force to be reckoned with. And his wife, Yolanda, is precious. And I, I told him, come on out. He said, he, he, he told me he's going to come out and yep. be in our pulpit. 
Yeah, and, and he is so out of his element right now. It's a beautiful thing to watch because he's so not polished. He's yeah. not a politician, never been one. Um, makes everybody nervous that, you know, the yeah. folks that are sort of trying to keep him in line. And he's just going to say what's right, what's on his heart. And that's what um, everybody loves about him. It, it is. And, I, and, I, and we all pray that he doesn't lose that. I don't think he will. Um, I'm sure there are those pumping him, trying to get him to be a little more polished, a yeah. little more politically correct. Um, but when he speaks, he speaks with authority. And, and I watch, whenever I watch Yolanda, she just weeps. She's so proud of her husband. Yeah. And you're talking about coming quickly. I mean, you're talking just a matter of a few years. Um, you know, he's got a great future ahead of him. I hope he's our next governor. Yeah. I think we, we desperately need that. And talk about a guy drinking from a fire hydrant. He's picking it up quick. And the stuff yeah. he's implementing as lieutenant governor, which almost seems like a, you know, secondary to Governor uh, Cooper. Governor Cooper's not long for this world. I mean, he got reelected, but folks are just... North Carolina's got to wake up. and They've got to. Um, And, you know, with him being the head of the Senate, uh, the state Senate, he has a great level of influence there. But it's a shame. We had our first um, governor's state of the state address. And with all of the hype about Black Lives Matter and all the hype about racial equality and all, the governor came out, never recognized Mark Robinson over his left shoulder, never turned to say what an honor to have our first black or a person of color as a lieutenant governor, never acknowledged him hmm. at all. I mean, this is historic. Oh, it's a very historic, yeah. but yet that's not even recognized yeah. Yeah, by the Yeah, that's a conservative media. black life. That yeah, doesn't yeah, matter. You, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah that's... Because it's, it's, it's not about melanin and content. It's, it's about an ideology. So he yeah. no longer qualifies. Absolutely. And there's no question where he stands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark, we'll let you know really, really quick whether it's on... Uh, the Second Amendment, or whether it's on life, or whether it's whatever. Yeah, and, and he's here. You have Governor Cooper, who who is a pediatric doctor, who who believes that you should allow the child that's been born to die on the operating table if it's not wanted by if that child's not wanted by its parents. Yeah. Uh, are you kidding me? Yeah. And now you, you got a lieutenant governor, factory floor worker, who says, "What are you doing? You're killing a baby." I mean, you couldn't have two more polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And and the and the churches aren't going to have a role in that. Yeah, um, I've, I've I, years ago I um, after one of the elections I asked I said if you if you voted for a certain candidate raise your hand they raised their hand and I pointed out and I said those hands have the blood of innocent babies on them. Yeah, I was a 26 year old young pastor at a church probably not what I would do now, but I was right. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you elect somebody, you're electing their their positions, you're yeah. electing their ideology, yeah, or I, like thereof. Yeah, you, you 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 worship your party more than you worship the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to realize that every decision you make, you have to keep what God wants in mind. Absolutely, and if you abandon that, you're done. Yeah. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, um, you 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 said that I'm smarter than you. That's not correct, and. Um, when I heard you were running and I heard the layout of that district, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be candid with you. And I tell this to the guys running. And, and Kevin McNamee, who is a city council member, I, I have the same candid. I said, dude, you're running against an incumbent. I, I just don't think this is the best time to run the first time you ran. He did really well his first time out. Uh, and he runs again. He ends up winning when I stepped out. He won my seat. Wow. And, you know, there, there's... He wanted to do what was necessary, and, 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 and he worked hard, and he built a coalition, and he, he knew the issues of the community, and the community responded to him. Um, you know, and, and looking at numbers, it's kind of like a doctor looking at someone saying, hey, you know what, you, you, got, you got stage four yeah. cancer, uh-huh. uh, you got, uh, I'd estimate, three months to live. Well, from that doctor's medical perspective, all the things he knows, he's made a logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. 
And then the next thing you know, that person is living longer than the doctor does and as healthy as an ox and is overcome First because they've done so. Yeah. He, he fought. Yeah, but, but yeah. I, I looked at your situation. I didn't discourage you. But I, I just have to say, praying for you, just said, you know, Lord, don't discourage him. That was my yeah. prayer for you. And when he loses, don't discourage yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and I, maybe I said to you, you know, not everyone wins their first time out. I don't know what I said, if I said anything at all. But I was praying for you. And when I heard you won, I was beside myself. Thank you. And then I was a little bitter. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I get it. And I was honored and, and you know, we, we never know the outcome of things. And it's, and it's good that we don't, but... In my heart, people would come to me. They'd say, "How do you feel about the election?" I'd say, "Giving it my best shot. How else can I feel about yeah. it?" I mean, you know, um, this next time is going to be interesting. Yeah. Totally different election. Um, we're going to do the exact same thing we did last time. Um, you know, we wonder what the turnout will be. With you know, a lot of people, I think, are just bummed. There's like, I. I put all of my hopes in Trump, and that didn't work out. I don't want to go. I mean, we've had people say, I'm never going to vote again. I don't want to ever be involved in an election again. I don't think it's fair. I think it's whatever. You know, well, this is not the time to bail. Yeah. This is certainly not the time for the church to bail. So. That's but, true. But I'm grateful. Uh, your influence, not only me, but the other guys. When we were in Israel, if I'd have looked around and said, pick five guys that will run for office and win, I would have not picked me. Um, you know, but the right place, the right time. I didn't go looking for it. Um, we were open to yeah. it, and I think that's if we're willing, God's able. Yeah, and He'll put you. He'll put you where you need to be. And but I think you do need to be open. And you do have your eyes and ears open and look. Where is there a need? Um, our school board right now is in a lot of conflict, and so I think people are. The problem is you have people go. I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna fix it. Well, you know, you're probably gonna go in there and stir it up, and make it worse than it is. Yeah. Um, you, you gotta you gotta love people and impart truth, and you gotta be able yeah. to build bridges. Yeah and sit on a commission with people with ideological differences and still make friends with them. It is, and that's hard because there are times I just want to say, what's wrong with you people? Why can't you all see things from my perspective? Just speak the truth in love. Yeah, and, and we are, and we're, we're, we're rolling on. Um, hadn't made them too mad so far. Yeah. We'll see. That's really cool. Well, I, I could, honestly, I, I could, I could and, and I don't even know that we're being filmed, uh, that folks are watching, because I'm enjoying this conversation with you. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. But, I, but I'll tell you what, um, we'll talk all night, and we can't do that. So I'm going to bring it to a close. Is that cool? I love you and appreciate you more than you know. I appreciate your people here, their faithfulness. Wow, what a story. What a, what a great testimony to the whole country. And a um, lot, lot, lot of people with their eyes on you guys. Saying if they can do it, we can too. Well, it's you're time. an inspiration to me, and, and I haven't had the privilege to meet your congregation, but when I make it out to North Carolina, if I have time, I'd love to just come and say hello oh, to man. them and thank them all because... Open invitation. Oh, bless come you. Come on. Well, um, I, I was just going to say for folks on uh, Sunday, uh, Pastor Cameron's going to be with us. Um, since I haven't been in the church in a couple weeks, I said you couldn't preach because yeah. the folks would hang me. So I'll be preaching, but uh, I'm going to have you share a little bit at the beginning. He's going to be our guest, and he and his wife Tiffany will be there. Little, their, their daughter uh, Leah is going to be with you. And I, I got to tell you, just to meet this man, you'll have the privilege. All three services, they'll be with us. You're our guest, and I'm so thankful you're here. And um, I'll tell you what, if, if you can't realize right now how important it is for Christians to be involved in the ecclesia, then, then you don't understand the scriptures in Matthew 16, 18. This man's making a difference. All of you who have participated are making a difference. If you think, oh, I'm, I just don't believe in anything anymore, I'm going to quit, 
Anything that happened in Arizona or Pennsylvania or Georgia or Michigan or all the shenanigans, even North Carolina, yeah, even so. here in California, let's not forget that Florida was the worst state in the union and it took a change of leadership. Their votes were in on election night and they out, they, they out, Democrats outnumber Republicans in that state and it's one of the strongest states in the union. And what Governor DeSantis is doing, that's just good leadership. And good leadership comes from good people electing those good leaders. So apathy is not going to win the day. God didn't give you a spirit to quit. We, 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 we participate, we engage, and we do more. And if you think that you've done enough, here's a man who pastors a church of 500. That's a hard job in and of itself. He takes on a commissioner position, and now he's just as busy as I am, and, and he's traveling the country like I am. We've, we're trying to waken other folks. And, and all of us need to carry our corner of the stretcher, and let's get this patient to where it needs to be and get it back to life because this republic, this constitutional republic is worth fighting for, for generations to come. Amen? Amen. Well, folks, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Vintage McCoy, and uh, how, how can folks uh, check out your church? Sure, The Lake Church, Facebook. We do a, a morning devotion for about 500 mornings straight, 7 o'clock. Come see what a sunrise at White Lake looks like. And at the Urban North Carolina, we have a Christian camp, only church I know of with its own motel. So That's awesome. if you come, we'll leave the light on for you. The Lake Church. Church. On Facebook. Yep. Okay. Lake Church. And, and do you have a website, folks? We do. WhiteLakeChristianCamp.com. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Check it out. This man's a, a total blessing. Be in prayer for he and his wife, Tiffany, their family. God bless you all. And we'll see you, well, today's Friday. I won't see you till Monday. Yeah. God bless you. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.